Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. Someone just texted me. I was going to text him. I said, I'm on the stage. Leave me alone. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. Good morning. Good, good, good. Oh, you guys are usually a little more caffeinated than that. Good morning. There you go. There you go. Uh, I'm Lee Pastor Scott Harris. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, I've got to tell you something that you missed. A lot of times I try not to say what happened at 9 o'clock service, 11. I don't want to compare you guys, right? Um, and don't want to say things that you missed or they missed, but had this cool thing. I'm going to be talking about uh, gold medals uh, this morning. And so when I came in, usually I hang out back there. And uh, one of our... Um, uh, people that attend our church participates in Special Olympics. Uh, and he came up, his name's JJ, and he's got two medals. And he's just you know, as proud as a peacock, right? So he rolls up and he comes up to me, he goes, look at these, you know, got him playing basketball and uh, regionals, you know, a gold and a silver, I think it was. So, hey, I'm going to talk about this. I said, hey, can I, um, can I borrow this? Um, and I'll get it back to you. Because when I talked about the gold medal, I showed everybody. I love this. What happened was um, uh, I started talking about the medal. Um, and I said, hey, can we just stand and all like JJ? And he's back there. He throws his hands up in the air like this. Comes walking down the aisle going like this. Like he, you know, uh, and so I was like, oh, I just have to go with it. It's just so cool. He walks in here. He comes. I, had, I presented the medal to him right there in the service. Uh, it was amazing. Oh, my heart. I just, oh, I love it. So beautiful. So beautiful. Uh, anyway, so we'll jump in. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Um, turn to 1 John chapter 4. Yeah, and you keep your eyes open um, so they don't hit you with those Bibles, right? Let me pray over us. Father God, we love you, and we come to hear from you. So I pray that your spirit would stir in our hearts, that would teach us the word, and would carry it deep into our being, that we may be transformed by your power from encountering your word. So we submit, surrender to you in this moment. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, keep those hands up there. Love it. Um, gold medal, right? Uh, big Olympic fan. So one thing I see is when they uh, get to the uh, pedestal and they're going to accept their gold medals, there's this thing. You ever notice how they kind of bite the uh, gold medal, right? Ever see that? Uh, here's the uh, USA Olympic team. Won their gold. Good job, ladies. Um, and they're biting their gold medals. To be honest, I never knew. I just thought, okay, it's kind of a cool tradition. I have no idea what that's about. Uh, but I did a little research. And I come to find out uh, they are doing, you know, kind of uh, jokingly, uh, the bite test. And where it comes from is back during the gold rush. And what they would do in the gold rush is... Um, if you've ever been you know, around gold mines and place that has gold, which uh, growing up in eastern Washington, there's gold mines up there. I used to work for the Forest Service in my younger days. And I can't tell you, look in the stream, you see all these flashes of gold. And you know those gold mines, you're like, all right, here we go, all right? Um, so there is fool's gold everywhere. Way more fool's gold than real gold. And so what they would do up in those mountains uh, when they would find a nugget of gold uh, they would give it the bite test. I mean, they'd take it in and they'd bite it because gold is softer than your teeth. And so if it indented, 
it was the real thing. Fool's gold is harder than your teeth. I don't know how far they took this, right? <laughs> but if you bit too hard, it's going to break your teeth. But you would know right away, it's like, this is not the real deal. So the Olympic gold medalists, they're just like, hey, this is real. I got the real gold, right? <laughs> For the uh, prospectors, when they would bite that nugget and it would kind of soften, they'd yell, and it's a Greek word, they'd yell, Eureka, right? Um, and so, and Eureka means this, is I found it. I found what I'm looking for. I found the real thing, the thing that is going to bring me to freedom, to financial freedom. My worries are over. I found real gold. Well, John, in 1 John chapter 4, the first six verses, he calls us into a bite test to say, as we talk about all these um, you know, deceivers and teachers and, and the twisting of the word, he kind of inserts this. It feels like it's an interruption, but it's not. I think it's like, you know, as you're going, make sure you're doing this. It's a call to all of us. Make sure you are giving your faith the bite test. Make sure you're following the real, authentic Jesus that leads to freedom because there are a lot of counterfeits out there everywhere. And if you read this text, you can see John's tone is just loving and caring. He calls them my beloved, my children, little children. And he's just soft, gentle. His heart is for them to know the real Jesus. And that, it's my heart for you. If I have something that I pray for, uh, I long for, is that you, North Shore, would experience the real Jesus. And I think evermore is it important as our culture as it drifts and we're losing sight of the real Jesus. Religion is coming in and taking over that we could identify the real Jesus. We'd follow the real Jesus that leads to freedom. And as time marches on, it's ever more important for us to take that bite test. And is this the real Jesus? So we're going to jump in and learn from John, um, 1 John 4, uh, first six verses there. Uh, and as he presents it, I draw four questions from this that help us walk through this test, okay? So the first one, let's look at the first one. Am I believing false prophets? 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So what is a prophet? Let's start here, okay? And this thing is, am I believing false prophets, right? And I want us, as we walk through this, is to ask ourselves these questions, right? Am I believing false prophets? What's a prophet? Very simple. A prophet is someone who claims to speak for God. Someone who claims to speak for God, right? Uh, as you look at scriptures, you know, the, the, the macro look at scriptures, there's two kinds of prophets. There is the true prophet and there's the false prophet. Now, the true prophet is someone who claims to speak for God and they are, right? You know, 
you know, scriptures speak for God. Um, we see prophets all in the scriptures that speak for God. People come up to you and say, the Lord said to me, the Lord led me to come say this to you, right? Um, it is a, a majority gift, I call it, a primary gift. 1 Corinthians 14, 1, you know, it says, you know, seek the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, especially that prophecy, right? God is speaking today still and wants to speak to you and speak through you, right? That's part of the Christian experience, okay? So, but there are false prophets. And as we look at John and other places in scripture, there are many false prophets, right? Now, what is a false prophet? It is somebody that claims to speak uh, for God and is not. They're actually speaking uh, for the enemy of God, Satan, his adversaries, demons. Now, it would be so easy. Like, oh, boy, okay, good, got it. True prophets, false prophets. It would be so much easier if these false prophets just came in and said, God's not real. Jesus never existed. You're like, folk, you got it. False prophet with you. But scripture says it's not how they come, right? Satan himself came and he took God, what God said, and just twisted it a little bit. Genesis chapter three in the garden, remember? Did God really say that? And just reached out and tweaked it, right? Twisted it. Revelation 12, nine says that Satan came down and his angels, demons, to deceive the world, just to twist it enough to get your eyes focused and say, hmm, and begin to believe that. Also false prophets, scripture says, come in disguise. Matthew 7 says they come as wolves in sheep's clothing, right? They look the part of a believer, of a follower of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 11, 14 says this, that they can't come disguised as angels of light, like God's angels. He was like, whoa, what do I do with that? If they're everywhere and they're trying to trick me, but I need to listen to what God has to say through people and to me, what do I do? We have to give it the bite test. Right? Because there's a problem. Because as I say this, you can say, okay, I know what I'm going to do. And many believers do this. I'm going to believe no prophet. Right? Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In, in verse 19 through 22, it says, Do not quench the Spirit, right? The Spirit of God is moving, speaking, talking. Do not despise prophecies because what we do is this, is I'm shutting them all down then. And that is dangerous to say, I'm not going to believe any prophets. Well, you are not going to hear when God has a message for you. So we are called, we have to test everything, but this, we have to hold fast to what is good and abstain from evil, Right? We are called to test. And the reason is this. 
2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says this, is that where the spirit is of God, there is freedom. There is freedom to experience, to do all that God has you to do as the spirit of God moves in your life. So shutting down prophecies, you're actually hurting the kingdom of God, the work of God in you. You rob yourself of the freedom that God gives, but you have to test, am I believing false prophets are out there? So this next section gets into kind of the meat, if you would, of the test. So verses two through three, I'll read here. And it says, am I confessing the real Jesus? This whole book is about the authentic Jesus. And that's what John is trying to get them to see. And so he asks him this, are you confessing the real Jesus? Look at verses two and three here. By this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Verse three, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the antichrist. And those are the many antichrists out there that are against God and not of God, which you heard was coming and is now is in the world already. As we learned earlier in this book, they are within the church and outside the church. He sings against God. And so John says, here's the deal. You have to confess the real Jesus. What is confession, right? It's simple. Confession is what you believe, right? And accept the implications of that. So it's not just a head knowledge. It's an acknowledgement. I'm going to make this statement. I'm going to confess this. And then everything that comes with this, right? Any uh, true crime fans out there, right? What's a confession? They say, I'm going to confess this and whatever the penalty, you know, good or bad, I will step into, I'm going to own it all. So are you confessing the real Jesus? Now, he brings up attention. We've talked about a lot the last few weeks, and that is their false confession. And that's this thing called Gnosticism. It was one of the earliest heresies and false teaching coming out of the church. And it's starting to take root right now in John's time as he's writing this. And what they believed is that the spiritual was good and the physical was evil. Now, the problem with that is it is a denying of God becoming man. The incarnation of Jesus, right? Now, why is that a problem? Well, it's a problem for this is because as Jesus walked as man, he says he's an example to us. Well, you can't be an example if you are not human. It'd be impossible for us to look at and learn from that. The other thing that for us to be forgiven for our sins, there need to be an unblemished lamb. Someone of this earth that had no sin. That's Jesus. He walked this earth sinless so he can go to the cross for us and then take on our sins 
that are done in this world, right? And take them on. And lastly, and they're all important, but it denies the resurrection. We're looking toward Easter. Remember when that stone was rolled away and they ran in there, what was in that tomb where Jesus was buried? Folded up clothes, right? His body was resurrected. Our bodies will be resurrected. So the very resurrection of Christ is on the line for this false teaching, this confession, what they were believing in. That's why John says, if you believe that Jesus came in the flesh, then you believed who he was, that he was human, he was God. You know, they denied his humanity. Now today, that's not so much a thing. There's actually, the, the, the more heresy that's out there is denying Jesus' deity, that he's God. I mean, most people are so good with, oh, he's a great teacher. Good, good dude, right? Yeah, yeah, he's good. He's from heaven. Uh, he's moral. Love that. But when you deny his deity, you deny his position as the one and only true God. He is the way and the only way. He's it. People don't want to give him that power. He's the one that has the authority over all things, including us. And we need to step into his kingdom and obey him and say yes to him. His ways are better than ours. But if he's not God and just a good dude, don't really care that much. You know, grab some good points here and then go find some other religious teacher and grab them. So for us today in confessing the real Jesus has been a problem for all of time. And some of you are aware of a a creed called the Apostles' Creed. So you see this historical confession is, it starts with I believe and the Apostles' Creed, I was studying it, uh, I'll probably do a, a sermon series on it someday because it just has so much historical depth and tie in to um, the apostles and their teaching. So, you know, so historically, it's so rooted deep. You know, if you've been in a Catholic church, a Catholic, you know that they take it and it's part of their uh, weekly uh, mass. Um, so they've kind of grabbed it, but it actually existed before the Catholic church. Right. And this Apostles' Creed, one of the real centerpieces of it is uh, who Jesus is. And then later on in the fourth century, uh, they did something called the Nicene Creed. They got together again and said, hey, um, we've got to make sure because we f- there's drifting and people are starting to think of Jesus in all these different weird ways. Uh, we need to confess the real Jesus. What is that confession for the church of that time? And it's something called the Nicene Creed. And they came uh, and put that together. And so for us, knowing who the real Jesus is critical. I want to give you a a, a basic confession. And I want to pose it in a question to you, right? From Scripture, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, uh, verses uh, 3 and 4. And it says this. Paul says, what I bring to you is what I receive of first importance, Jesus was crucified for our sins and then was raised from the dead. So these confessions for us on a daily basis is 
Is Jesus your savior? Is Jesus your savior? The person that came and went to the cross for your sins, shed his blood so that you could be forgiven and redeemed and restored into the family of God and all of the inheritance that come with that. Is Jesus your savior? Romans 10, 9, you know, kind of, you know, you know, remember it's a letter to Christians. You've got to keep asking this question of where are you? What are you confessing? Is this the real Jesus? Romans 10, 9 tells us this. Is, must confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. He says, you will be saved. Go to that first thing is, is Jesus your Lord? If he's your savior, he's redeemed you, adopted you, are you allowing him to be your king, your leader? The authority in your life to say, if you say it, I will do it. Because what the Gnostics did is they brought in salvation earned by man. But you had to work you had to do some things. You had to partner with God. And we know it's in faith and faith alone that he is our savior. He is our Lord. That is the real Jesus. Are you confessing the real Jesus? And the third question, it's, it's tied to this. Are you trusting the greater spirit? Verse four, let's read it together. Are you trusting the greater spirit? Little children, again, back to these, these terms of affection. You just you can just see it. I, I, I think Ben, when he first preached uh, opening series, he talked about getting on a knee and looking eye to eye. And that's his whole letter's vibe is John's just looking at him because he loves him. He says, let me talk to you. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we have to understand is there's a false power and it's powerful. And that is Satan and he's the father of this world. And what happens is he catches our eye. I mean, he is slick. Satan is not a fool. He's foolish, but he's not a fool. Wouldn't it be easier if sin were no fun? Imagine that. I don't know what you're going to say. I was going to mention a food. I'm not a huge broccoli fan, so if you love broccoli, I'm sorry. Um, what if sin tasted like broccoli? <laughs> Woo, good, I'm out. Uh, right? It doesn't. A lot of times, it initially takes like banana cream pie. Right? It's good. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, it doesn't stay there, though. Stay with me. Don't get false teaching here. Um, is this. It draws you in. There's an allure to it. And what we do is we start trusting this world and what it offers. And our hope is found in this. Our security is found in this world. What happens, and this is what the enemy does, it leads to brokenness, destruction, pain, captivity, bondage, 
it takes your freedom away. And it has an appetite that cannot satisfy. It'll keep asking you for more. But here's what's cool. John says, there is a greater spirit, greater than this world, all that. Basically says this, for you competitive people, you win. You win. He is greater than he who is in this world. And that's the spirit of God in you. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus is talking to his disciples before he goes. And he tells them, in this world, I'm going to tell you, I want to give you peace. But you're going to have many tribulations or many trouble. And here's the thing about this. I think a lot of Christians sharing their faith with other Christians make a huge mistake to say, oh, it's just going to be easy in this world. No, this world is hard and difficult and we are going to have trouble. But he says, take heart. I have overcome this world. Right? So that's what we have to do. We are on the winning team. How do we win? John chapter 14. In the same conversation, he says, I'm going to give you a helper. And that helper is my spirit in you. It's the Holy Spirit. The greater spirit is going to work in you and empower you to walk this road of life you have. No matter how steep the hill is, how many hurdles are there, there is a power in you that is greater than the liar, Satan, in his message. It is greater than anything for there. And I love this. I'll share the scripture with you real quick. Ephesians chapter 3. Verses 16 and 20. Uh, and this is Paul praying uh, for the believers in, in Ephesus. Same place John is probably writing this letter. Paul says, he goes, I, I am praying for you according to the riches of his glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Right? That's the Holy Spirit in us. And check this out. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think... And that's so important. More than we can even imagine. When this world draws us in and says, I'm going to find my security there, my prestige from there, my identity from there. says, no, you can't even imagine. There's something greater. You can't even dream of it. It's so powerful. And it's in you, follower of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. Do far more than you can even imagine. There's a power that's at work in us. There's a greater spirit. So the question I have, uh, the bite test to freedom. I ask you to think about a hard thing. Where does the world have your eye? What has got your attention? Where your trust in its values, its quote-unquote promises, First of the real Jesus, the greater spirit. Where are you failing the bite test and are biting on fool's gold? John desperately is begging us to take this bite test. So the last question, you know, something that informs and feeds this journey is, 
Are you listening? Am I listening to the right teachers? Listen to verses 5 and 6. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here's how the test works. So here's this deal, okay? Uh, Who are we listening to? In this day and age, it is easy to listen to a whole lot of people, isn't it? Man, you know, YouTube. I don't know what they all are anymore. I hear these new platforms like, I don't even know what that is, right? I mean, the amount of information, and let's just put it in the Christian context or so of teachers. You can listen to anyone you want in the whole world. There are a lot of people claiming to speak for God. And they're not. And they lead us to a trap. So I want to encourage you, all of us, right? Because one thing I've watched, and it troubles my heart, I see uh, this generation growing up in what I call soundbite theology. That means a phrase um, that sounds good, draws you in. Uh, now that's, that's doctrine, that's theology. That's my God, that's my Jesus, that's my spirit. Right? With no digging deeper. So we are in a real dangerous time, you know, but no different there. They didn't have social media, but they had people running around in church in John time saying, hey, let me tell you this. Here's what the real answer is. Yeah, Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. That's like God, right? Sometimes things never change, but we have to know who are we listening to. So I put it in two ways here. Um, what to tune out and what to tune into, okay? Now I struggled with what, to tune out because <laughs> a sin got into my camp. I had faces and names. You know, I said I wanted a name. But I said, that's going to be sin. All right, that's going to be of, not, of God. So I'm just going to say, here's what Scripture says about these people you should tune out. If a name and a face and a ministry comes to mind, that's between you and God, okay? But I want to give you some tools to know how to listen, what to tune out. Right? that are false prophets, okay? And so here's what scripture says. Matthew 24, the deceiver, right? Somebody that comes in to deceive you and twist the truth. In order to identify them, you have to know the truth, right? If you don't know if they're deceiving you, go to somebody that you trust and ask them. There's the deceiver. Matthew 7, the fruitless or the bad fruit. And this is a powerful part of scripture where it's Jesus talking uh, to people and he says the famous line, away from me, I never knew. People who in the name of Jesus prophesied, did miracles. He says, you don't have real fruit. A lot of hype, but it's not Jesus. It's not the Holy Spirit. Uh, so what's the fruitless, right? And the bad fruit. First Timothy chapter six, the self-focused. Uh, people who are ministering for selfish gain. Uh, in this you know, context, it talks about you know, money 
in power for any money. You know, acclaim, notoriety. If someone's up here, someone's sharing, God said this, and it's about their fame, about their pocketbook, right? Scriptures are so clear. That self-focus, you've got to run from it. Tune it out. The next one I called the babbler. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. And, and this is that person that just useless, fruitless chatter, hyper-focused on things that end up really distracting. We've seen entire cults generated from convincing people to get up on a mountaintop because they figured out what Jesus says you couldn't, and that's when Jesus is coming back. And people followed them, and people who follow these, we measure them in the millions. That's how crafty the enemy is, right? So these people are hyper-focused, or they have, quote-unquote, special knowledge. If someone says they have special knowledge, they have this unique look, we've been studying the scriptures really for thousands of years. Um, there's probably not a whole lot of new stuff can be turned over we haven't got. It's not like some new dinosaur down there, you know. So if they have special knowledge, boy, you better check that out quick. The placator, 2 Timothy chapter 4, that's the person, it talks about, you know, that meets the itching of your ear, the tickling of your ear. It tells you what you want to hear. And I was looking at this, you know, there's some people that bring the word of God and it's like a self-help class. What are the three steps to make you great, right? Really, I'm like Dr. Phil should be up here preaching, right? In some of these places. Now, scripture should help you. So it's not just because someone does that. You've got to test these spirits. Uh, if you are never offended in church, be careful. Be scared. Really, I mean, something to say, ooh, that kind of got me. Wonderful. Um, hopefully the preacher isn't a jerk um, and isn't intended to do that. But if the word of God does that, that's a beautiful, beautiful place to be. To say, God, what are you saying to me? Why'd that hit me? But if someone comes up here and again, just tickles your ear and it's warm, fuzzy, and that's it, then check it out, Right? The heretic, someone who's just given false doctrine, right? Uh, and they're everywhere, Second Peter 2, 1. You know, so you gotta, and if you don't know the doctrine, go ask somebody, sit with somebody. The abuser, First Peter 2, 2. Uh, I've heard in my 29 years of ministry some horrible stories at the hands of teachers, Bible teachers, pastors, and I was looking at these people and said, how did they convince you to do that? Right? How did they convince you to go down that road? Uh, you know, and again, and that's just subtle twisting, right? Giving an ear where you shouldn't. So understand if somebody's going to ask you to sin, step outside of what you know of God, that's an abuser. Get away from there. Then there's the divider, Jude 19. People that come in and just want to divide, Right? Oh, I, I don't believe that. Hey, I think this. Can you believe they did that? And generally, this isn't over great doctrinal things. It's, it's goofy things, really. I don't think we should start Sunday school at that hour. You know, I'm leaving this place, right? I mean, just things like this. We gotta, there's people that come in and, and they divide the body. And Scripture is really clear of what division in the body and the warning of that. You don't, you don't want to be that person, right? But you don't want to listen to those people either. Okay. 
the tune-in things. Let's look at that, the tune-in things. Uh, you know, I just kind of grabbed some, some thoughts. I don't think that this is not all-inclusive. There's some things I, I know of Scripture about that are important. What should you tune into? First of all is a teacher who has the right foundation. Uh, the us in this scripture um, that John is talking about is the apostles' teaching. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about there's only one foundation for the church. That's Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, and the apostles and prophets. Those that walked with Jesus, right? And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, passed it to where we can open our text and learn about that, right? So the right foundation, is it founded off Jesus and the apostles' teaching? Second, are they rightly dividing the word? Are they rightly dividing the word? That means, uh, understand this, um, uh, there is actually a science to this. It's called hermeneutics. Yeah, and that is the science of interpreting ancient text. And so as we come into the scripture every week, uh, hopefully it is a byproduct of deep study and through the principles of hermeneutics, right? And there's a thing called the homiletics, which is there's a science, but it's also a little bit of the art of how do we present it. But the hermeneutic process is uh, what does this say? When was it said? Right? Everything was written in, in context, right? To a certain time of history, to a certain people group for certain reasons. And then what you do from that, as you look at the original, original language, um, and the different genres of literature, remember in the scriptures, um, there's different types. There's poetry, there's prose, there's um, you know, kind of end time uh, language in there. And you have to understand what you're reading. To interpret, right? So um, are they rightly dividing the word of truth and then taking it to a place that has meaning today? Because we want to make sure it's coming from God, right? Well, God's word and not man's word. Point C there, uh, following Jesus is that next thing. Are they following Jesus? And I love this picture, Acts 4.13. I mean, it's after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, the church is given, uh, born and birth, and they're going. And, it, and they're rocking it, man. People are getting saved. Place is going beautifully crazy in the name of Jesus. And the religious people of the time are like, uh-oh, we got trouble. They're kind of taking us over. What are we going to do here? Um, and they're like, well, who's leading us? What's happening? And here come, I love this, couple apostles. Those guys are leading it. Those are unschooled, untrained men. They're not as sophisticated. They haven't studied as deep as us. But they've been with Jesus. Right? They've been with Jesus. And I'm telling you, right, you do not want to listen to anybody that's not as coming from actually being with Jesus. That's not a follower of Jesus. That is an experience in Jesus. A problem, we could fill your head with lots of knowledge. Right? But it's the experience of Jesus that is powerful. Right? So you want to listen to people that you know are experiencing Jesus. And it goes to this next point. And the last one on the list is spirit-filled. Right? 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything. Even the depths of God, are they spirit-filled? 
Acts 1.8 is really clear that we are given a power, the Holy Spirit, to be his witnesses. So when someone comes and teaches, preaches, sits down and talks to you and shares a, a, a prophecy and says, God said this, are they filled with the Holy Spirit? Is the Spirit speaking to them and through them? You know, it's one of the most beautiful things. I love it um, when we're up here and we're, we're, we're teaching and preaching, we're preparing all the stuff. It happens every week. Something comes up that wasn't here. And generally speaking, what I find, it's what you'll talk to me most about. I'm telling you, it always me. I mean, there's sometimes I'm not joking. You'll be, and you've all been there. You're going, whoa, I need to write this down. This is good. Even though I just said it, I said, I'm not that smart, right? That's not me. That's God doing his thing. That's the Spirit of God. You want the Spirit of God speaking to you through people uh, and these teachers. So are they Spirit-filled? I'm going to invite the worship team out, and I'm going to take us back to the, um, to the test, the core of it, right? And I'm going to ask you to think about some things, because but John, you know, it's kind of like, why did John do this? It interrupts all this cool talk. Remember last week, if you were here, we talked about love. Awesome. This interrupts that whole talk. It feels like, what? A pop quiz. Yeah, yeah. He goes, John said, you've got to remember, my children, my beloved. You've got to take this test so you don't drift and get dragged away. So I take you back to the core test. Am I confessing the real Jesus? And am I trusting the greater spirit? So think about it. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? And all the implications that come with that. Have you said yes to him? Because that is the first step. There is no freedom outside of that. That's why John said, anyone that confesses, Jesus is from God, right? Will be saved. Only path to freedom. Where are you at with that? Other things got your attention? Maybe it's just an area. Not a full heart conviction, but boy, I've got a few things in my life that I'm not trusting God with. And that goes to that next question. Are you following the greater spirit? Are you letting the Holy Spirit live in you and through you, empowering you? take your hands off of the wheel eyes off the world and saying yes to him and everywhere so what areas has your attention we kind of did a little exercise earlier we're going to invite you we're going to have some people up here to pray and we're going to sing about this beautiful powerful Jesus that is alive through his spirit in us and he brings us freedom and a living hope and Christians that will free you and bring life, full life abundant life in your world, your family's world and this world, you'll be a lighthouse for Jesus Christ, that's what he wants and when followers of Jesus take this bite test that goes to freedom we will see revival happy, right? So have it start in your heart. Have it start in your home. Will you stand with us? Love you guys.